The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Everybody. Welcome to our first big virtual hybrid in-person ACB students convention event. My name is Olivia. I am the second vice president of ACB students for this past year and also for this upcoming year. And I'm super excited to see all of you here. So for this event today, we have a little bit of a panel happening with two awesome, I want to say influencers, but that might not be the right word, but Charlie and Lance, who you'll be able to see on the screen as they both talk. And I want to give them the ability to introduce themselves. So I'm going to turn it over to Charlie and Lance, if one of you wants to start and just introduce yourselves and tell the people a little bit about who you are, your vision, what you do, and anything else. Hi everyone, I'm Charlie. Nice to meet you. I live in Los Angeles, California. I was born and raised here and I have retinitis pigmentosa, which for anyone that doesn't know, it causes me to lose my peripheral vision over time. Most people have 180 degrees of vision in any direction. I have about eight to 10. It's kind of like looking through a straw. And I also have night blindness, super sensitive to the light, uh, hard with transitions into darkness, things like that. I am a blind cane or white cane user. I know a lot of people call it white cane, but I have like every color of the rainbow in a cane. So I don't really call it white because that's not fully accurate for me. And yeah, basically what I do is I'm a life coach for other disabled people. And I work with people all across the disability spectrum. So I've worked with people who have mental disabilities. I've worked with people who have developmental disabilities. I've done physical disabilities. And of course, a lot of people that are both deaf and blind. And I love what I do. And then when I'm not doing that, I travel around the country doing speaking engagements, kind of like this, but in person, and also share a little bit of, of my music. So that's a little bit about me. And I have an amazing dog. Her name's Teva. She's not a guide dog, but she might pop up and you might be able to see her in a little bit. That's it. All right, off to Lance. What's up, everyone? And uh, Charlie, man, it's good to see you. <laughs> you too, Lance. This is And fun. Olivia. Uh, yeah. Hi. For those uh, listening, I have a podcast, and I'm going to talk about that later, but I had Charlie and Olivia both on my podcast. But let me talk about me first. My name is Lance Johnson. I live in Brooklyn, New York, but I grew up in North Carolina. I grew up in Hope Mills, North Carolina. You may have heard of it. That's a joke. And uh, I work as a video editor, which sounds funny because I also have retinitis pigmentosa. Um, Yeah, RP gang. And uh, yeah, I've, I've Basically, uh, work as a full-time video editor, and I have a passion project called the See Through Podcast. It's where I interview various people within the uh, blind and disability community, and I'll go deep into that later. But yeah, my my field of vision. Um, I recently had a field of vision test, and the the uh, doctor couldn't quite give me an exact number, but he gave me a ballpark, and he said I'm right around the twenty to twenty five degree range. So that's where I'm coming from. But uh, as a video editor, I can still see my screen and I'm still still doing my thing. But I guess that's my intro. Yeah, thank you both. Um, okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but Charlie, you are legally blind and Lance, you are close to legally blind, but not. Not, not, not yet. Not? I guess the okay. I'm, I'm yeah, that's that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Lance, you're like right on the cusp because yeah. 20 degrees of vision or less, I think is, I think less is considered legally blind. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, okay. So I'm really excited to have Charlie and Lance here because they both have two different perspectives in terms of vision. And like, I think Charlie said, retinitis pigmentosa is a progressive disease. So, um, both of them are a part of this community one way or another. Um, but they have different perspectives coming from different fields of vision and different lives. And I'm really excited. I, like Lance said, I got to know Lance because I uh, did his podcast, which is a really cool podcast. If I do say so myself, my episode, I think that's the best one. Sorry, Charlie. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, so I got to know Lance and I also have gotten to know Charlie over social media. And guys, if you're ever like 
on Instagram and you're like, I wish people just knew this about disability or this about blindness. And you want like resources to share or things that are relatable within our community. Charlie's Instagram it's at Char- I'm doing a self promo for you, Charlie. Um, it's at Charlie Kramer Vision, and he's got some really great resources on there. I repost them constantly on my story. So um, I'm super excited to have both of them here. And so I kind of wanted to start off with like the first question being: both of you, in your own way, have done uh, some form of advocacy work, and I'm sure in your own personal lives you've done advocacy. So I just want to know what advocacy means to you and why you're so passionate about it. Like I know, Charlie, you said that you're a li- you're a life coach and you love what you do. What is it that that you're doing in terms of advocacy that makes you so passionate about it? And same with Lance, with sharing people's stories on his podcast and stories through videos too that you edit. Lance, I'll let you go first this time. All right. <laughs> yeah, advocacy. You know, it's like a buzzword these days, but I, for lots of reasons, uh, it is a buzzword. Um, I take the approach of storytelling, entertainment. Um, You know, I try to interview guests on my podcast and hear their perspective because in a way, my advocacy is selfish. If I want to be honest, I'm trying to learn myself as I lose my vision because growing up, I had 2020 vision basically when corrected. And now I'm in this, you know, close to this legally blind era of my life. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around what I'm going through. So I I'm literally talking to people, having conversations, telling stories while learning and taking that information in myself, which is, it's nice to have something like that because other people can get something out of it, but also I'm winning at the same time. (laughs) So I'll admit that it's a little bit selfish. So my advocacy kind of comes from that, just kind of educating and entertaining um, others Because, you know, like I just mentioned, I grew up in the, I would say, I don't know if this is the right terminology, but I grew up in like the non-disabled kind of world. And now I'm transitioning into the disabled world. So I kind of, I'm kind of, I know where each side's coming from and I'm trying to bridge that gap. And I think Charlie's doing a lot of the same type of work. And so, yeah, I'm trying to bridge that gap and just kind of educate and, and do it in a way that's actually entertaining and not like, you know, shoving it down your throat or boring or lecturing people or anyways, just like talking to people who are very interesting and uh, therefore making it fun, you know, and uh, worthwhile for listeners. And at the same time, they're learning and they don't even know it. You know, that's kind of my, my goal and how I approach advocacy. And then, you know, having a podcast, it kind of carries over further, into when you when you post an episode you got to promote the episode and therefore you're networking with a lot of people um through social media and basically it carries over into that you know so it's like my advocacy is through social media my podcast um and just uh it's kind of like this hybrid of the two um because i'm on youtube you know all, all social media platforms and all that so it's not just my episodes. It's actually my promotional content is kind of, I'm, I'm grouping that in there too. What I select out of my episode, what bits do I want to share and highlight, you know? So uh, there's a lot of thought that goes in, in into that. Like what exactly do I want to put out there? Um, and uh, um, we can talk about that more later, but I'll pass it to Charlie. Yeah. It's, it's cool hearing you say all that stuff, Lance, because I feel like a lot of what we're doing is similar in many ways, but the way that we're doing it is different, which is cool. Yeah. I love that because it, it allows us to hit more people. Um, for sure. For me, advocacy, I think there's a lot of people out there doing advocacy work in terms of advocating for the rights to making sure the world is a more accessible place. There's a lot of people working in uh, like the workspace helping people to make sure that their workspace is accessible, to help schools be accessible. And personally, that is not my main focus. And I think that's what people think of when they think advocacy right away. My main focus is helping individuals learn how to advocate for themselves. So that's a lot of what I do within my coaching profession and what I do with my clients. It's My big passion is is comes from this place of, 
you get a diagnosis. And once you get the diagnosis, they tell you, this is what it's going to be like physically. Here's all the things that it's going to be like. Okay, have a great day. See you later. What they don't tell you is how everyone is going to treat you. What people are going to expect you to be able to do as a disabled person, specifically as a blind person. And there's a huge gap left there. And there's just, it's, it's ginormous. And it causes a lot of people to be unhappy about their diagnosis, to be nervous, to be scared, to not know how to stand up to different things. And honestly, a lot of people will either fight really hard against the fact that they are blind or they'll freeze and they'll hide away and they won't do anything. They'll say, I can't do anything with my life. I'm going to stay inside for the rest of my life. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to just sit inside. I'm going blind. There's a lot of other people that'll have this like, well, I'm going to try and fit everything I possibly can into my life before my vision is gone or before this part of my life is no longer. Uh, And my big thing is helping people to learn that different isn't always bad. Like losing something doesn't always mean it's a bad thing. And I think that's a lot of what the world thinks. You think you're disabled. You hear three words. You tell someone you're disabled. They say, I'm so sorry. It's my least favorite response because having a disability isn't always a bad thing. It's sometimes bad. We can all agree. Anyone who's in the blind community, sometimes it's really frustrating to be blind. And I also love it for so many other reasons. And my whole purpose really is to try and help people that have a disability to learn how to love it or at least embrace it so that when they're living their life and someone does something to them that they don't like or treats them in a way that they're not happy with, they know, hey, that's a boundary for me. I'm going to hold this boundary. I'm going to say, please don't do that. Thank you so much with kindness, with respect for yourself. I think that's a big thing that people don't recognize. Just helping them to flip the script and go, you know what? This is bad. I'm going to feel it. It is hard. I wish I didn't have this disability or this diagnosis. And let's live a kick-ass life anyway, you know? And that's really my big passion. I think that's where there's the advocacy gap in a way. There's all this advocacy being done for like, yes, let's make sure that schools are accessible, that we have the ramps, that we have the little, you know, things on the sidewalk. So when you're walking with your blind cane, you know when the, the sidewalk starts and where the street starts. And let's teach people how to advocate for themselves so they can be happy in their own bodies. Because I think that's a huge missing piece. So that's really what advocacy means for me. And I'm doing it kind of like Lance said, because I didn't have that myself and I wish I did. And now I'm learning along the way as well, every single day while I'm helping people to discover that themselves. Yeah. I want to yeah. add to that. If, if that's cool, go ahead. Cool. You got um, Charlie, you just got some cheers. You got some amens going on over here. You yeah. can't really see on the, <laughs> on the, the iPad, the way it is tilted. It will not let me show you the whole room, but there's a lot of young people here. Sorry, Lance. I'll, I'll give you in a second but there's a there's a lot of um young people here who are scholarship recipients from acb who are going to college um there are a lot of uh, people here who are uh fully blind but also who are like visually impaired who are on that cusp like you like uh you were saying about lance was saying and how charlie was saying about bridging the gap um Mm -hmm. and so like all of what you both are saying is so important because it is important to learn to love your disability to love yourself and there, like Charlie said, there can be days when you hate it. I hate it sometimes. Yeah. Like it, it sucks sometimes, but the only way that you're going to be able to live, like Charlie said, a kick-ass life is if you come to accept yourself and empower yourself to advocate. So totally on board. Um, and Lance, go ahead. Yeah. I love what you said, Charlie. Um, and I wanted to add to that because, you know, my podcast is called the see-through podcast because my conversations are transparent. You know, I try to be transparent with what I talk about. And there's a reason for it because growing up, you know, I knew I had RP. I was diagnosed when I was 12, but it wasn't affecting me. So what I did was I suppressed it and I tried to forget I had it and I never talked to anyone about it. And as my visions started to decline, I just, it kind of just kept suppressing it kept suppressing it, kept suppressing it. And eventually it got to where I couldn't suppress it anymore. Then I finally had to talk to people because people were noticing, you know, Hey, I was, I was tripping over things, you know, bumping into people, missing handshakes, you know, all the classic things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
I didn't want to drive anymore because I was getting so anxious about driving. So I had all these big kind of pinnacle things kind of adding up. And I was starting to panic because I had never talked to anyone about it. And once I did, it felt so freeing and I love that feeling. So I was like, I want to keep this feeling going. Um, so I, I made a podcast to kind of force myself to continue to be, you know, transparent and open about what I'm going through because I, I did struggle, you know, talking to my friends and, and, you know, family members about this process because, you know, it's not something that they're dealing with and it's hard for them to understand. And I didn't want to be treated differently, you know, all the classic things. So in a way, my podcast has been a format for me to, to feel comfortable talking and sharing my point of view and educating people beyond my close set of friends and family and all that and, and beyond. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been healthy for me. So I guess my point of adding to that is just like that acceptance and being open about it has really been powerful for me. And that's what Charlie teaches, you know, with his, his life coaching and I think it's really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. I agree. It's, it's so important to, for a lot of people to recognize too, that I don't think many people realize this, but like 70% of disabilities are invisible. And I think a good portion of those invisible disabilities are people choosing to make their disability invisible because they're so worried about opening up about it and what that will mean for their life changing and how people will treat them. And I was just like Lance, I was legally blind at 15, told I couldn't drive. And from 15 to about 25, I acted like nothing was wrong. And I had the most bruised shins of all time. You know, I was just like always hitting things. So, and that was a choice I made because I was afraid of what it would mean to be disabled. And I always tell people that my life has been much happier since I've opened up about it and owned it. And I think kind of seems similar to what Lance is talking about. Like there, there comes a point where you realize you got to go for it and it can be really nerve wracking, but it's also a very liberating experience too. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so Lance, something that Lance and that you, Charlie, both touched on a little there is healthy advocacy, I think is how Lance put it. And I know that coming from somebody who is, is just done with my first year of college and uh, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of people here who are kind of around a similar age and who are in my boat um, or a similar boat. It's hard when you're out in the real world to feel sometimes like you are a walking advocate. Like you have, you are, you feel sometimes I, maybe people can relate in this room, but I felt sometimes like it's a, it's my job as a disabled person to teach other people how to be accommodating and how, what disability actually means. And I'm the kind of person that I'm standing up here and I organize this event. And so like, I like that clearly because I'm, <laughs> this is something I like doing, but it's not up to the average disabled person to educate the entire world. It's not anybody's job to do that. And I think that that's really important. And I, I found personally that like my version of healthy advocacy is that when I came to, when I finally accepted my disability and I grew in my understanding of my disability and how disability is viewed in society by the majority of people and how people are impacted by that negatively in the disabled community. My, I, out of that knowledge and understanding, I wanted to be an advocate. I wanted to answer questions and not everybody has to want that, but I I'm wondering if, because you both, you both come from a place with this awesome career of being a life coach and you're doing it for a living and, and the awesome podcast where you're interviewing people and you're asking people about advocacy for a living. And, and by nature that is advocating, like you said, through the podcast. Um, can you talk about like personally how you've uh, come to understand the, the way that you can be an advocate without necessarily being um, like a walking advocate for the disability community. Like, it, like it, it's your job quite literally, but in your personal life, you do have to have healthy advocacy, like Lance said. So how do you guys approach that? I can take this of you. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, you know, healthy advocacy comes down to individual choices. I think, you know, everyone has a different personality. Everyone has different things in my opinion, that, you know, people feel comfortable with. And, you know, personally, I'm not the kind of uh, person to go out and like protest or like, that's not really my 
my my vibe, I guess I'll say that. And I'm not saying I oppose protesting. I'm just saying that I'm not the type of person to go out in March and 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 do things like that. So I take the like I talked about earlier, the education and entertain entertainment approach, you know, because it it's massive. You know, think about how influential pop culture is in society and all that. Like think about how the film Coda has, you know, really educated people on the general public, not just people in the disability community, but just the overall public about, you know, you know, people living in the deaf uh, community. So I think there's different avenues, there's different ways. And I think it all comes down to like, what are you, what are you good at? You know, like, you know, I, I had a, a video editing skill set from my job. So I just said, all right, podcast, I could figure that out because I know audio, I know video. And then I took that approach, you know, so I think it's good to kind of look at what you're, you're good at naturally, what you have a skill set with now or a skill set that you want to learn or something that you have access to and then figure it out from there. Uh, but I think it's, it's, you know, it's up to the individual. And I think it's important that we have a variety. Like I think it's important to have people like Olivia who have that kind of passion and that approach because, you know, they're going to solve problems that, you know, entertainment's not solving. And it's like Charlie talked about with, you know, accessible ramps and like physical, you know, adapt, like adaptations like that. Like we need that too, you know? So every, it's like, what's kind of neat about it is everyone's different approach kind of makes this full, you know, paints this full scene, you know, and it helps everyone even more. And I think uh, it just comes down to the individual. Yeah. I honestly agree with Lance so much that I, I'm probably not going to, I don't even think I need to say that much. The only <laughs> thing I'll just piggyback on that's really important is the point about it being an individual's choice. And I also really loved the bit about making it aligned with your strengths. So your strengths are in, you know, your career with video editing. Mine, I grew up actually leading in the Jewish community full time. So I was yeah. a Jewish musician and I, traveled around the country without anybody knowing that I was blind, funny enough. Uh, it was in that period of me hiding it. And I would lead Jewish music as if like, you know, like the equivalent to Christian rock. So I've always been an entertainer. I've always been in front of people and I've always been leading groups of people and leading individuals too in like healing and uh, life improvement exercises and things like that. So for me, it was a really natural transition. Like I'd I'm a certified mindfulness instructor, right? So like all these different things kind of already led for me to go down the path of being a speaker and being on social media uh, and being very present with my voice and like being silly and performing and different things like that, as well as the life coaching aspect with working pe with people one-on-one because I already had those skill sets. So for me, that just feels comfortable for the way that I advocate, you know, and I'm already aligning it with my passions. And I think the reason that Lance and I are both successful is because we're coming from that place that we are passionate about um, and that we have skill sets in too. So I think that's huge and healthy advocacy. I think the only other thing that I want to say is that on the flip side, you would say, what is unhealthy advocacy? I think it's just coming from a place of feeling like you need to do something or that you're doing something that because of a certain pressure, whether it's placed on yourself personally or by society, uh, and it's draining you. Like if you actually feel drained emotionally and physically, then I think it's important to take a step back. And we all get drained at different moments and different times, but you're never forced to do anything in life. It's always your choice. You could, do, you could stop doing what you're doing right now and completely change. I could go become an astronaut if I really wanted to. It would be very hard for me. I don't know if it actually happened, but, you know, like just a ridiculous example. And I think it's so important to make sure that if you feel like something is draining you, you have every right to say, you know what, this isn't my place. I still want to do this work, but how can I shift it to make it so that I feel empowered and I feel healthy and I feel strong? And I think you're looking at two people who both feel empowered and healthy and strong in the way that we advocate so and three i would say two with olivia as well yeah thank you <laughs> i love <laughs> i love those answers um so 
And also I relate to the astronaut that I had a teacher in high school who told me as a joke that I had perfect vision to fly a plane. So maybe I'll stop this and go fly a plane because <laughs> yeah. I think I think I'd be great, right? Like I actually have a friend who's a flight instructor who's been messaging me recently, and I asked him like, "Hey, can I fly the plane?" And he was like, "Yeah." So at some point <laughs> this year, I'm a blind man will be flying a plane. I won't take off and land, but in the air, I'm gonna fly the plane. You know, you could. That's so I can. as long as it's safe. Yeah, you can. <laughs> tell me exactly yeah. what to do, and I'll tell you that. Yeah. You should have <laughs> called in while I mean, flying. I think, if, I think if you stick, if you stick the cane out the window, you can oh, do it. Oh, perfect! Right? You'll, yeah, I'll be able to know where I am. <laughs> you'll by the, you'll oh, know if you hit another plane. You'll know. Oh, yeah. You'll know. Believe it. Believe me. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, I the next thing I wanted to ask is, um, so both Charlie and Lance have said have talked about their careers and how they're implementing advocacy into their careers, and I think that that is so cool and. I think it's really cool to have a perspective, especially since, again, there's a lot of younger people here of two people who are still young, but are, have established themselves with careers as, as people who are part of this community to be able to learn from. And so I, I want to ask, because I'm, uh, I'm haven't started my career yet. And I, I think other people here would benefit from this answer, but if you could look back on your past selves, or if you could tell something to, to any of the people here, maybe give like some advice about, about going about the, getting a career or just like finding out what they want to do within the world of being blind, because it's challenging. Cause I mean, somebody who, who is not disabled, they might have other things to deal with, but they don't have to worry about their ability to do a career. They don't have to worry about how it weighs on them physically or emotionally or mentally in the same way that somebody who is dealing with the challenge of blindness or disability would. So what advice would you have since you guys have gone through and maybe still are going through that? Cause I, I doubt that that stops once you have a full-time career. Yeah. I'd love to jump in. Yeah, go for it. I'd love to jump in and just say, I've personally been on a very big journey with this. I know you say established, but this is the first calendar year of me doing this work full-time is this year. So I'm finally starting to feel grounded with it. But the big thing I did is I just listened to what I felt I knew I was capable of. And I, I knew that I could work for myself, that I could go out here and make a difference. And a ton of people told, I know it's super cliche. You hear this all the time, right? A ton of people told me it's a bad idea. You should stay in a job where you have consistent pay. I don't know when my next paycheck is coming most of the time, but you know what? I've been more successful this year than I ever have in my life. Mm. And it's because I trusted myself. The other thing that I will say is there are so many opportunities to work for yourself now in comparison to what there was before. And a lot of those opportunities allow you to grow far more than what you would be able to within the structure of a company. So I think a lot of the issues that people run into with having a disability in the workplace stem from the fact that you're working for a big company that has a lot of bureaucracy. I think that is a beautiful path. My sister is very successful. She works in college administration and she has RP as well and she's worked her way up. She's doing fantastic work. For me, that wasn't right. I, I, I felt trapped. And I'm not saying grow just in terms of economic, economically, like I'm talking about growing to be able to do everything that you want. Mm-hmm. And there's so many opportunities to be your own boss and to bring on your own team. Like one of the, probably the biggest joys this year for me is that I have two employees and I love them and I get to create a work environment with them and they support me and they're fantastic people who I can trust you know, and I've been able to build that with them. You know, they're a huge part of the success with me. So I would just really say, if you have something that you're passionate about that you think you can make into a business, go for it. And there's a huge misconception too, that there's like this breaking point of like, you're doing it on the side, you're doing it on the side. And then all of a sudden there's this huge moment of like, well, now I have enough business that I can go full-time. I got to tell you, that's a bunch of crap. You have to be able to invest all of your time and energy into that work in order for you to see results. Because I did this stuff on the side for about three to five years, and it wasn't until I made the full jump to go full-time that I was able to see the results that I actually wanted to. So that's kind of my perspective on it. And I think that there's just so many opportunities out there for us, regardless of you being blind or not, you know, just go for it. 
Yeah, I agree, Charlie. You know, it's a classic hard work mixed with trial and error for me. Um, like I, as I mentioned first, you know, I, I'm a video editor and I, you know, I'm freelance, so I am technically my own boss, but when I'm hired, I have a boss. So I don't, it's like kind, I'm kind of self-employed, but you know, right now I'm working in New York as a freelance video editor. But when I was working in North Carolina, I was a videographer and editor. And I did probably three fourths of my job was behind a camera shooting video. And I did that for almost seven, eight years. And I was starting to be slow on set because, you know, I I wasn't seen as well. And a lot of sets are dark and all that. And a lot of expensive equipment everywhere. You know, I broke a few lights, you knocked over a few cameras. So it's like, in the same sense, I, I, I noticed I was slowing down there and I noticed with driving, I wasn't seeing everything. So I decided, all right, I need to make a change. So I moved to New York city and now I take the subway. I use public transportation and, and instead of shooting and editing, I decided to just edit because there's a, such a large industry here in New York city and video editing that I can just be an editor. Whereas in most of the U S uh, you, you kind of have to wear more hats. So I made a geographical decision that benefited me. Not everyone else has that opportunity um, because, you know, it comes down to a lot of things. Um, but I was fortunate enough, the stars aligned in my favor so I can move to New York. And, and now I'm in this position, you know, and my podcast, I'll be honest, is like I've made negative amounts of money on my podcast. I spend more than I make. And I still do it because one, it's my project going back to Charlie, you know, talking about it's good to have ownership and something you're passionate about. And I intend to make the podcast at some point in my life, a full-time endeavor. So you kind of fired me up, Charlie. You're like, just, you got to do it. You got to get rid, go all in. But, uh, so I, I work as a video editor and that's how I, I pay, you know, my expensive new <laughs> New York rent and all that. And, uh, Um, and I'm slowly growing my podcast and I'm, I'm doing it in my opinion, tactfully, I'm trying to be smart about my decisions and, uh, my career. And a lot of people looking back on it, they'd, they would hear me say like, okay, you have RP yet you're a video editor. What, what was your logic there? Why did you go down that path? And I think it comes back to passion. You know, like when I was in high school, I was making really silly movies with my friends and it was just so much fun. I, I wanted to go to film school and I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Like if you sat me in like, you know, I know this sounds cliche and, and sorry, but, you know, if I worked in an office, you know, I had like a, a really monotonous job, I, I would go you know, uh, I would just go wild and, you know, just not know what to do with myself. And, and I I also feel like I have (laughs) ADHD, so that might, might work against me too. Um, but yeah, so I, I looked at what would work for me and I kind of, you know, it, I'll add to it. You know, I said, hard work, trial and error, but also there's a little bit of bravery involved and, and, and in the sense that, you know, what's good for you, you know, what you're capable of, you know, deep down what's logical and illogical. And it may have not been the most logical decision for me to, to be a video editor. I may hit a brick wall later down the road in my career, but you know, I thought about it. I said, all right, you know, RP central vision staring at a screen. I think I can do that. You know, software can adapt. You can, you can, you know, increase the contrast, make things bigger you can figure workarounds, you know, it takes some ingenuity too. And then also like my mom, like she was the only person I knew growing up with RP, you know, and she's legally blind and she was a, she was legally blind school teacher for 20 plus years, you know? So it's like, she worked a full career and then retired with RP. So I think seeing that gave me you know, inspiration and just kind of like inspire me to be like, you know what, I can have a a full career too, as long as I just go for it. And, you know, so far so good. Yeah. Yeah. And that support system too, for sure. Can I pop in real quick and say something about my mom too? Cause I think I mean, mom appreciation time. time. I'll just (laughs) say that 
my mom also has RP and she kind of did the opposite track of Lance's mom where she was a stay-at-home mom for almost my whole life. And then in the last five years, she started working again. She probably, I think she just went to the doctor and they told her that she has five degrees of her vision or less. You would never know this by the way that she moves around the world. She's recently started using a cane around the same time that I did. She takes a bus from the Valley of LA to downtown LA, which is not the safest area. I'll tell you, Mm -hmm. it's not like most downtowns. She goes to downtown LA every single day on the bus, works in an office for the government and does like Excel spreadsheets and then comes (laughs) home. Like that's the thing that's possible. She has five degrees of vision, takes the bus all the way there, does better work on Excel spreadsheets than her coworkers and then comes home. So if anybody's going to tell you, if you're incapable of doing (laughs) something because of your eyesight, I think both of our parents just showed you that that's crap. Uh, You'd be so surprised. I mean, she still is wanting to change jobs because the Excel spreadsheets are driving her nuts with her eyes, right? And she can do it, you know? So I would just say, don't let other people's opinions limit you because those are their opinions and they don't have to be yours. I 100% agree with that. And I'll add to that, like, whenever I decided to move to New York, I took a huge financial risk and I you know, could have easily failed, but now I'm doing better than I was before. So it's like, my vision is worse than it's ever been. And I'm doing the best that I've ever done. Bingo. So it's, so it's, it's like, I don't know. I think, I think there's something to that in terms of just accumulating as you go and just kind of just, just taking pride and and just going your own path and sticking to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Both of you have talked about um, like taking risks, having to change things up. And I know that um, it's really interesting to hear you talking about it looking back because both of you have made so many changes uh, in your lives or or changed direction um, throughout the last few years. And now you're looking back on it from like a perspective of after it happened. And so it's interesting to hear like when Lance was like, yeah, I just like, I moved. And like, and then you talked about how it was actually like a really difficult thing um, at the time, but now it's like you, your success has grown and you're doing better than you've ever done. And that's how a risk like that in the moment can seem so scary, but it pays off often. And so I uh, kind of along the lines of that, I wanted to ask you guys um, if you're okay talking about it, because we all, we've all said throughout this panel that blindness is hard and vision loss is hard and it sucks sometimes. And I think everybody in this room and both of you and the people on Zoom could relate to that. So if you're comfortable talking about maybe some of the, the harder times that you've had, how you dealt with that, um, and maybe for Charlie, like how you're teaching other people to deal with that too, from your experiences. This is a fun one. Lance, do you want to go first or I can go first? <laughs> um, you go ahead. Okay, great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. Um, yeah, I would say... The hardest portion of my life was middle school and high school because I told people for the first time about my eyesight and what they did to me impacted the way that I looked at my disability for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I told a few people that I thought were my friends and they pushed me like physically. They would put things in my hood and flip it on my head without me realizing. I was just really bullied. And I lost my friends and I lost everything. And I was in seventh grade. And I don't know if you guys remember middle school, but like, that's a hard time. It was not fun. I remember the worst time of everyone's life. I think (laughs) worst. Yeah. I I was, I remember being in the bathroom at my house crying hysterically and my mom knocking on the door and being like, Charlie, are you okay? It was like my darkest day. And Mm. from that moment, basically what I learned, which was incorrect is that when I tell people about my disability, it's going to make them treat me poorly. So I did the opposite. I hid my disability, which then became the hardest part about being disabled because nobody knew and nobody understood. So I think a lot of times what I say is the hardest part about being disabled is not the disability itself. It's how people treat you. And I I really still think that's the case. The hardest thing for me is when I'm going from a light space into a dark space. Recently, I'll give you an example. I was in Spain. And my Spanish is not very good. <laughs> so I was walking into this bathroom in a part of Spain where they don't speak the best English for sure. And 
I walked into the bar. I went, tried to go down into the bathroom and I was just like walking into walls. Like my cane was hitting all these places, but I was down. Like, I'm going to figure it out. I don't, I didn't want anyone's help. I was kind of down with the adventure. And this lady came up to me and she grabbed my cane and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa please don't touch my cane. Right. She couldn't understand me. So then I kind of had to like forcibly take her hand off my cane. Then she put her hand on my shoulder. I was like, get the hell off me. Right. So like these moments are really hard. Then I get out of the bathroom. She's waiting there for me. Right. Never once did I say I wanted that help right? Mm. That is her and people's perspectives of what is necessary being forced upon me. And I couldn't do anything about it because we spoke different languages. So this relates directly into what I work on with my clients, because I basically teach them how in those moments do you tell people kindly and in a way that they can understand what you want and what you don't want, right? And what you need versus what you don't need. And setting boundaries for yourself that are healthy because the, I, I really believe that the hardest part is dealing with other people. We really know how to deal with ourselves. There's, there will be times too that you hit something over or you knock something or you spill something at a table and those feelings of like, oh my gosh, I'm so clumsy come up or like you blame yourself for all these things. But guess what? That's completely out of our control, right? So I just try and focus on let go of what you can't control and accept that it's okay, and accept that it's hard, right? There's no problem with being like, I accept the fact in this present moment that that is annoying, and I'm frustrated. Just be real with yourself. And it's completely out of my control, so it's not worth me just harping on this in my brain over and over again. But then what can I control? I can control how, how I tell people to treat me when they're doing it in a way that I don't appreciate, right? You can't control the way someone is treating you, but you can control whether or not it continues. And you can control the way that you respond to different situations. So, so my focus is really teaching people how to deal with those different situations to give them the tools and work on it with them. So when it actually comes up and the situation is there, that it's like reading. They just know exactly what to say. It's easy to spit it out. Super simple. Because uh, like I said earlier, that's the stuff no one teaches us. That's the thing that they don't tell you at the doctor's office and there ain't nobody else who's going to help you with it, right? I love therapy as well. I've done therapy a lot of my life. My therapist has never taught me that stuff. You know, there are therapists that will, but that's not what they're trained in specifically. So I think it's really important to make sure that we work on those things, that we know what to say, that we know specifically what our boundaries are, what they're not, so that when we get into those situations, we're not freaking out. We're not beating ourselves up and remembering what we can control versus what we can't. That's, I'd say, the best response to that that I possibly can. And it's also very individualized, which is tough too. One way of doing it for one person is not the way that another person will feel comfortable doing it uh, or standing up for themselves or advocating. So, you know, and that also might not be the hardest part for other people, but it's definitely the hardest part for me. And what I find, regardless of what the disability is, what every person that I've worked with so far has expressed as their biggest challenge as well. Thanks for sharing that, Charlie. Yeah, I would say the hardest thing that I've had to deal with has been myself. <laughs> Two different chapters. I'll start with the first chapter. The first chapter was when I was in denial about my RP. I would be at work, you know, I was in North Carolina, I was a videographer and video producer and editor for like small advertising agencies. And I would be sitting at my desk. And even though I tried my best to suppress all thoughts about my vision loss, it would still randomly pop into my head. And I remember just having those moments of like, oh, I can't do this forever. Um, what am I going to do? Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to have a career you know, um, I was single at the time. I was like, no one's ever going to date me. No one's, you know, all these thoughts and like, um, and I would have these like little panics and then I would have those moments of panics and then I'd go back to suppressing it and I wouldn't do anything about it. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, I would even think, you know, I'd go to super dark places with how I would think it's like, well, if I, if my vision loss speeds up, at a certain rate and like I, you know, might just be better off dead, you know, just being honest, you know, like I thought that I was like, no, oh. 
maybe, you know, I don't want to live a life with, without my vision. And I know some of you listening who, who were born with, you know, vision loss or born, you know, you know, with blindness, you're probably like, wow, that's, you know, someone with vision thought those thoughts. Um, and I think that brings me to chapter two. Now it's accepting myself as someone who is losing my vision and then feeling worthy of being involved in this community. Cause it's like, you know, comparing myself to others, you know, like, you know, if you're, let's say someone is born blind, it's like, you know, I don't feel like I'm in the same arena as, as you, you know? So I, it's, I almost feel like, am I, should I be the person talking right now? You know, should I be the person with the podcast that I have? Should I be the person, you know, advocating doing what I do? Does it make sense for me? And, and I'm ha- having to come to terms with that. So a lot of it's just, you know, dealing with yourself and, finding ways to accept yourself and your thoughts. And it's hard to do. And I, I still struggle on it on the regular. I've not figured this out. <laughs> Just for the record, I have not figured it out. But every conversation I have on my podcast helps. You know, I also go to therapy and that helps. And I talk to loved ones and that helps. And just that transparency, what I talked about, like instead of suppressing it, talking, that helps. But you also got to do a lot of work yourself and what what your voice inside your head tells you 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 can you got to try to rewire that um and it's very hard to do and that's why on my podcast i talk to people with all with you know any disability because i think you know while our physical like adaptations are you know different you know the mental adaptations are very similar if not the same you know learning to accept yourself and, you know, your situation and things like that. So, you know, just learning to ex- first it learn to accept, you know, I'm dead. I'm losing my vision. And now I'm learning to it, to feel accepted by the disability community to feel welcome or like, you know, in, in a sense, when you're in that middle ground, you can kind of feel lost when you're in the part of transitioning, you can kind of feel lost as if you don't know which you know, one arm's pulling you in the non-disabled world and then one arm's pulling you in the disabled world. And it can be very confusing. The so, imposter syndrome, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And um, I, I deal with that. And, you know, growing up, I just had to deal with suppressing and, and having very negative, harmful thoughts about what my life would be like with RP. And the more and more I learn about it, the more and more I talk to people with RP and vision loss and all these different things, the more confident I become. And now I feel, I feel very confident in the sense that I am going to be okay. And I am going to live a worthwhile life. Um, but if I wouldn't have had these conversations, if I wouldn't have put myself out there, if I wouldn't have done the work, I would still probably be back where I was when I'd have those panic moments at my desk. And Ooh. it's, it's very clear that like, that there's purpose in however you choose to advocate, whether it's advocating for the community, like in terms of like how Charlie mentioned, like a more of a political context, or even like in an, a podcast or an entertainment uh, context, but also advocating for yourself because it makes you feel empowered. Like from what I'm hearing, um, that's what it sounds like is like that advocacy gives you a purpose that is related to your vision loss for both of you, which is really, really cool. We have, a, oh, sorry. No, never mind. You don't, we only have a certain amount of time. So you, you, okay. (laughs) I just wanted to, um, we're like coming towards the end here and I just wanted to give the opportunity for one to three people in the audience, if they have any questions, um, to ask. So if you, if you would like to ask a question and you raise your hand, I can see you. I see Greg. So I will come. Why did I know that Greg? Oh, and Tati. Oh, so true. Okay. Okay. And you can just give a short response to this because I know we're running low on time. My name is Greg. Um, I'm known to people in ACB students as Triple G. Um, and uh, I, uh, I just wanted to ask this question. So you, ACB is starting a mentoring program. And um, so what do you guys think it takes to be a good mentor? And what do you think it takes to be a good mentee 
Um, and um, you, because you obviously have talked about how mentors have helped you. So what what would you recommend for a good mentor and the attitudes maybe of a good mentee, of a good person receiving uh, that life coaching or mentorship? Charlie, this is all you, man. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I'll try and keep it short. I, before I start, I just want to say, Lance, dude, I, I everything that you just said before, I hear a thousand percent and agree with you. Like, couldn't agree more. Appreciate Triple it. G. Um, I would say the biggest thing is learning how to be an active listener and not forcing what you believe onto another person before you actually hear them. That's one of the biggest things that you can do as a mentor. Really listen to them, really hear what they're going through, and then take a second to say, what do I think would help them? Because what has helped you will not always help other people. And from that perspective, I think it's really important to have many different avenues and different skill sets that you can teach people that will help them through that situation. So like if someone's going through imposter syndrome, I think in my head, I've got like at least three different avenues that I know will work for someone to, to work through it and to come out on the other side. But one of them might not work for one person as well as it does for another person. And it's really important to make sure that you listen completely to what someone says so that you can help them in the way that they want to be helped. The second thing I would say is if you're a mentee, don't sign up to be a mentee unless you're ready to be mentored. Because if you're not, it's not going to work. You're just going to go there and you're going to be frustrated. You got to be ready to accept what someone is teaching you and implement it into your life. So I always ask whenever I'm about to work with someone, I always ask them, are you ready to go deep and to really work on yourself? And are you coachable? And if they hesitate at all in either of those questions, I say, okay, this isn't the best fit right now. Please come back at another time. And I'm not afraid to do that. You know, I will lose clients and lose work because I want to work with people that are ready to dive in. And I also want to say it's okay to not be ready. Sometimes in our lives, we're not ready. I always put it on a scale. Uh, this is from a type of therapy called uh, DCB. And basically what it says is that you're ready to feel things and process things between on a, when you're on a scale of one to 10, if you're feeling something with the intensity of a four to a seven, that's the right time to focus on it, to really work on it. If you're an eight to a 10, if you focus on it and you work on it, honestly, you might just cause yourself trauma and you don't want that. If you're a one to three, you're just, it's just consistently going on in your head, but it's not really that important right now. But a lot of people are in that four to seven range. If you're in the four to seven range, sign up to be a mentee. Trust that the people who are helping you are really going to help you and be ready to dive in and do the work on yourself. Because if you do that, the changes that you're going to see in your life are going to be amazing. And whenever you change your life, it ripples out to everyone else around you. So yeah, good question. Yeah, yeah good question. I'll have a quick answer and it goes to both uh, mentor and mentee. I'll say, open-mindedness paired with logic and that's it you have to figure it out <laughs> <laughs> love that <laughs> i love the open-mindedness thing too like being ready to be mentored and learn um mm -hmm. so the next question is from tati hi guys uh olivia just introduced me so yeah i'm tati <laughs> um but i uh just really wanted to ask you guys how you figured out truly what you wanted to do. Cause I think I'm in a point in my life, I'm an upcoming freshman, I'm going into college and I have so many interests and I feel like I have so many passions and I pride myself on being able to communicate with people and love talking to people. But I just don't know what avenue to take, what subject to focus on, mm -hmm. whether just focusing on myself and kind of um, allowing my journey to be projected onto social media to help others on their individual paths or, you know, just focusing on advocacy as a whole, especially in the educational environment, because I am immersed in that right now. So just finding different ways to pursue my passion. How did you guys find that way for yourself? I stumbled on mine, you know, to be honest, like uh, I, I was in high school when um, I rented a movie called Troll 2, which is known as the worst movie ever made. 
and me and my friends watched it and we thought it was hilarious and we were like let's make our own you know troll too so we we made our own movie called mutant rat attack with like a mini dv camera a little tape set i'm showing my age now we just and, need to pause for the title though that's an incredible title oh <laughs> coming to a theater near you yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i had just to be honest i just had so much fun making that movie uh with my friends that i i was like all right well there's film schools mm. all right i'll do that so then i went to film school and then that was step one step two was all right i kind of learned that I didn't like, you know, doing lighting. I didn't like more of the technical stuff. I like more of the creative side and that's through trial and error. So I'll say like, it's really just trial and error and, you know, taking something that you have a natural instinct for natural passion, something that you wouldn't mind doing on the daily, you know, like my podcast, like I said, I make zero money off of it. I make negative money, but I'm working on it daily and that's just because I enjoy it. So I think that's the biggest part of it. And I know you've, you've already heard that before, but it's just like, once you start, once you start going down a road, you'll, you'll start realizing things that you wouldn't have figured out if you didn't go down that path and it'll take you somewhere else. I mean, that sounds like as corny as I can make it, but you know, you, you have to go down a certain path before you figure certain things out. And, you know, I started, you know, wanting to make silly movies with my friends and then I, I figured out I like video editing. I'm pretty good at video editing. So then I stuck with that. And, you know, now that's what I do. And, and, and also you got to remember what your career is doesn't necessarily mean that's what you are and what you're, you, you're stuck to doing. Like my, like my podcast, it's a passion project. I've made short films that I've directed and edited myself, you know, out of my own pocket and budget, you know? So it's like, you can always have other projects, you know, so keep, keep that in mind too. Like if you want to have a, you can have a career and something else. Um, that's, that's an alternative. Can I ask Tati a question? Is the mic still yeah. there? Yeah. Okay. Tati, do you love everything that you're doing? I do. <laughs> okay. My answer is super simple. You're way too young to choose. Do it all. Do every single thing. I love that. <laughs> Thank Just you. Just do it all. Some of the, some of the most successful people in the world have like 10 businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just do it all. If it becomes too much and you don't like it and it's draining you, let go of the specific thing. You're going to be a freshman. Don't worry about yeah. what you want to choose right now. Just do it yeah. all, you know? And then I would say back that with everything that Lance said. Like do all, put what Lance said to all those different things that you love and eventually there will probably be like two or three that come out of it. But if you're the type of person that wants to do multiple things, you're that kind of person and do it because mm-hmm. we need those people in the world. So just don't be afraid to go for it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Dawn, you should be able to unmute. Well, guys, you guys are the best that I have <laughs> ever had. I want to tell you, I'm 65 years old. When I first lost my sight, I was fourth grade in the middle of the wilderness and we couldn't use our flashlights. And I'm saying, okay, guys, I'm going to sit right here. I'm not afraid of the dark. When you decide you want to find your camper, come and get me. My biggest problem has been my entire life that, and I didn't realize this, that 70% you were saying of people that are disabled do not see that you are disabled. And it continued on with my ex with my husband. He goes, you don't look like you can't see. It wasn't until I got my seeing eye dog that people started to realize that I was literally visually impaired. And I still get that. And people say, um, I'm trying to get a path put in, you know, over my house. And one guy says, you don't look like you're visually impaired. You are a liability to us. I'm like, well, if you don't believe I'm visually impaired and I have a seeing eye dog, how can I possibly be a liability? And what is your answer when people say that you are a liability? I mean, all of us over here that are disabled get that same comment. How do you respond? Oh, man. That's a hard question, isn't it? No, it's an easy question. What is an easy question? Their attitude is the liability, not your disability. Amen. Is that what I'm supposed to say? I would say, well, I feel comfortable saying that. I would say, I hear what you're saying, and I just want you to know that I'm not a liability, that unfortunately, people having the attitude that I am is what the liability actually is. 
And then I would tell them the facts. I'd say, by the way, 70% of people have an invisible disability. I'm one of those people. And you don't need to see any sort of thing for me to let you know that I'm disabled. And if it's someone who's working for you, I mean, I'm bold. I would just be like, and honestly, if you don't want to do this job because of that, I'll get someone who does, you know? Yeah. The attitude is the disability. Yeah, the, the, the belief system that I'm a liability is the liability, not me. Okay. Yeah, I would, I, I would add to that. And then, you know, sometimes you got to like, you got to lawyer up on people, you know, oh, yeah. you got to, you got to, you know, <laughs> threaten the law. You got to say, I have, I have, I'm working with the state of Wisconsin disability rights. Right but you now. could, you could just say like, well, if it's, if it's something like that, let's say it's like with housing or something like that, you have certain rights in employment, you have certain rights. So, you know, they can think that all they want, but by does it match the law does it does it match like reality and what you know the rights we have you know so yeah if all else fails you know just be like you know what it doesn't matter what your opinion is because i'm protected by this and i have this right and this right and this right and they can't do nothing about it and if they do go against that then you can threaten to sue and all that stuff and i i guarantee they won't i just want the disability rights people (laughs) to put him in his place and say <laughs> she has the right to her own accommodations here. <laughs> For sure, yeah. yeah. You just, you just, sometimes you got to threaten a lawyer up, and that I think that scares people. Okay, <laughs> thank you so. Sometimes, I sometimes that's needed. Here. I, I I've asked. Oh, sorry, Charlie. You no, no, to... I'm interrupting you. You keep going. I'll, I'll oh, ask. I I've asked kind of related to what Charlie just said. I've asked somebody what what does blindness look like? Mm-hmm. What does what, you you say that I don't look blind or I don't look visually impaired? So can you tell me what that looks like? Because I, I don't, I don't know a single person who looks the same, no matter if they're disabled or not. So what do I need to look like? It's sunglasses with a cane and you, and you just stare and you stare at the sky. But if, if they, yeah, definitely. (laughs) And if they say that, if they say that, then I would explain why that's a stereotype. Yeah. 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 I'm just, you know, I'm just goofing off. Oh, I know. Okay. If you guys, I'm going to plug it again, but if you, if you go watch my episode on Lance's podcast, we do talk about that, how Hollywood ingrains that stereotype and all that stuff. So definitely true. The aloof staring at the sky sunglasses cane yeah or dog we have mitchell hello everyone hey mitchell Woo! Hey. the room is cheering yes <laughs> um first off really good really great um really great um meeting so far this is very 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 um informative and i really appreciate everything that's been talked about today um i have one general question though how do you how how do you uh, Charlie and Lance get around burnout? Burnout. Yeah, good question. Well, you can burn out in many different ways. You know, you can you can burn out with your family. You can burn out with you know your partner. You can burn out with work. You can burn out with your health. You know, there's lots of different ways, and sometimes they all compile and you burn out at once. Sometimes it's a combination, and you can burn out with empathy. You know, and that happens to me sometimes. It's like mm-hmm. you, you feel so passionate about certain things and you can you can see somebody post something negative online that's maybe a little bit ableist and it can discourage you. You're like, man, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. It, it, the, world, the world is too far gone. And, you know, you can have a little bit of nihilistic point of view. And that happens to me all the time. But what I do to prevent burnout is I like to reflect on the wins I've had, you know, like when someone left a really nice review um, of my podcast or sent me a personal email thanking me for a message that I, you know, they took and now they're, you know, doing this in their life. You got to sit back sometimes. It's hard to do because if you're always trying to grow and you're always thinking about the future, it's sometimes you got to take the time to think about your wins and then that can help re-energize you. And sometimes you just got to take some time off and then recharge. So it's life's going to burn you out. No doubt about it. There's no way around it. I think, you know, you can't avoid it. It's coming for you. So you can try to be healthy in how you recharge and, and get past the burnout and get back to, you know, fully functional and, you know, going all in on what you were going, going hard on. I think 
what they say is that the definition of I don't know if this is perfectly correct insanity I think is like doing, doing the same thing yeah doing the same yeah. thing over and over again but expecting different results yeah so I'm just gonna be really honest with you if you are experiencing burnout the first thing that anyone does is they take a break right okay yeah which I advocate for you need to because you first need to reset your body right and then change what you were doing before that caused you to have the burnout all right that change. makes a lot of sense you but it also doesn't need to be a big change really think deeply like oh is there one tiny thing that's causing me to feel this and if it's in your control i would change it okay you know a good example for me is like i've been traveling and doing speaking engagements and it all got condensed because of covid and i was doing like three out of four a month a month i was gone three out of four weeks a month it's been insane so I have a new policy, two out of four, two out of four. I can't do more than that, you know? And that's because if I kept doing the same thing, I'd be just continuing the cycle and I'd be burnt out all the time. So, mm-hmm. and then I want to track back and say something to Don and just to everyone. We were, we were all like, advocate for yourself, like be a badass, go for it, like threaten the <laughs> law. And I agree. I just think that's like step two or three. The first thing is... A lot of times people are saying those things because that's what they've heard over and over and over again by society. Yeah, true. It doesn't actually mean that they believe it or that they're a bad person. It just means that that's what they've been taught. So give them an opportunity to relearn before you attack them. That's all I would say. I agree. But then threaten yeah. the law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then threaten the law. <laughs> Okay, well, I want to say a big thank you to both Charlie and Lance for being here. They took time out of their day um, and from their many um, businesses and accomplishments to be here. So thank you so much for talking to us. This is this has been so cool. I'm really glad that we got to make this work. And um, if everybody here and on Zoom, you want to give a round of applause to Charlie and Lance. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And I will say, like they said, Charlie has a life coaching business. Um, I'm going to self promo unless you guys want to do it yourself, but (laughs) I'll say Charlie's Instagram is at Charlie Kramer vision. Like I said, tons of cool resources and links for all of where, how to find him and work with him. And then Lance has his uh, personal Instagram, which is it's Lance Kestrel, right? Yeah. But you can just, just follow me on my podcast. So it's at, at see through pod. Yeah. And that's on every place podcasts are right. Apple, Spotify, Spotify, Apple. And and now you can watch episodes on YouTube. So that's, that's the big push I'm doing now is YouTube. Yeah. So highly encourage you guys to check them out. Obviously you saw today that they are very knowledgeable and have some really cool perspectives and experience. So, and then adding to that ACB students has social media. So that's just at ACB students on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Thank you guys so much again. And thank you all of you for coming and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you guys. Nice meeting everyone. Happy disability pride month. Yeah. Yeah. Woo.